0: Good morning, Grace Point. It is uh, great to be back with you again. Um, Again, my name is Jim Ayers, and I am with Lancaster Bible College, Capital Bible Seminary. And uh, it is a great joy to be back with you this morning. I've been here on multiple occasions uh, throughout the years, and uh, Pastor Tim is a dear friend. And uh, I've enjoyed a great time with, uh, with Greg as well. Um, I don't have to tell you, these indeed are challenging times. Um, uh, I, I stand this morning and I look at masked men and women. I can't read your nonverbals. Uh, you may not have any idea how frustrating that is, but as someone who was trained initially years ago in law enforcement, that was one of the first things that we were trained to read nonverbal communication. In fact, all the sociologists, and psychologists tell us that the greatest language that we speak is our nonverbal communication, not the words that we say. And so I see a lot of faces, and I'm having trouble reading the nonverbals, but we're going to be safe this morning. So if you uh, just want to wave your hand, or if I hear a thud, if your head goes down and you're, you're falling asleep, I'll know. I can read those kind of very obvious nonverbals, but uh, the smiles and uh, such, I'll have to hope that I'm sticking uh, to the text and that you're following me. Um, I enjoy traveling uh, quite a bit, and perhaps some of you do as well. Uh, one of the great joys of my life has been the opportunity uh, to coordinate over 27 years, uh, the academic study tours of Lancaster Bible College to the holy lands. Uh, Why do I say holy lands? Because the holy land is not just Israel. Uh, We have biblical events recorded in scripture that have taken place in multiple lands. And so we take students in these academic study tours and adults, I lead adult tours as well, um, to Turkey, to Greece, to Jordan, to Egypt, and there are other countries we'd love to go to but are not permitted to go there. So this morning, I would like to take you on a little bit of a journey with me to one of um, uh, one of my favorite places that, that I enjoy quite a bit, uh, to the city of Jericho, and we're going to revisit one of the uh best-known stories. If you've been a, a churchgoer like I have uh, ever since nine months before you were born, then you may recall singing a little song in Sunday school that went something like this. And I was really tempted to ask the worship team to open with this song this morning, but I didn't. I refrained. But you remember that little song that we sang about Zacchaeus? Remember that? Just nod if you do. Zacchaeus was a A wee little man, he climbed up in a, for the Lord he, and the Lord said, Zacchaeus, come down. Why? Because I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming to your house today. Now, that song has led you to some conclusions, which I want to propose to you are not consistent with the text where this event occurred. So my challenge this morning is that I want to unravel for us a series of different things by painting, first of all, a portrait of Zacchaeus from the pages of Scripture, and then us observing a couple of principles. And we have to do that and keep moving pretty quickly this morning so that we can see these things, which are very simple but very important, and walk away with something that hopefully will be a challenge to our lives. Regardless if we're sitting in this auditorium or if we are watching from afar, we are still interacting with other individuals, and the Word of God still applies to our lives. So let's begin our tour this morning. We're going to go to the city of Jericho, and there uh, there, I'm going to show a couple of pictures and just give you a little map, and that's the professor in me. I'm sorry. Those colored pages in the back of your Bibles, um, uh, you may not be real familiar with, but at some point, if you have them, you may want to take a look at them this morning because it gives you the lay of the land. Because geography is important in understanding the, the Scriptures. And so, let me just paint a picture of the background of this text from Luke chapter 19 before we read it together. Most of Jesus' ministry occurred in the Galilee. that was the northern part of what today we call the, northern, the the northern part of the country of Israel. but it was around the Sea of Galilee primarily in the town of Capernaum was where Jesus made his um, kind of his center point of, of local ministry there in the Galilee and although he traveled quite a bit, uh, we're going to see some of that this morning uh, he generally would return to the area around Capernaum and especially all around the Sea of Galilee. Well, at least three times of year, uh, because of the feasts that were celebrated in Jerusalem, Jesus and many other Jews would travel from that Galilee region. They would travel about 80 miles south, and you can see it here on this map. If you see the picture of the Jordan River, they would travel south, And you see the location of Jericho. It's on the west side of the Jordan River. Most Jews would travel down the eastern side of the Jordan River and then cross over the Jordan into the town of Jericho. Now, from Capernaum to Jericho, as the crow flies, it was about 80 miles. And Jericho was a great place for everyone to stop and rest because it was a beautiful oasis. It was called the City of Palms. The temperature was great year-round. Herod the Great had built a palace there. Uh, There was great produce that was located there. It was an important city for people who were making their way to Jerusalem from Jericho. And if they were traveling down from any other part of the, the northern regions, they probably went through the city of Jericho. Here you see some of the fruit of the land, the produce. It is still filled with thousands and thousands of palm trees located there today. And then they would travel for that last portion of their trip, about a 17-mile uphill climb on a Roman road, and that is the original Roman road in the top right. And you can see some of the older pictures and pictures of people who are trekking it and then top left and then Also, in the lower left, you see the ancient road, but it's still very visible today. That was the road during that last day's journey that people had to hike to go up to the city of Jerusalem. Now, uh, there are some other things that are very significant about Jericho that we need to understand. It was an upper-class city. It was the home of the chief priests and the Levites who worked in the temple area. And I don't know how well or what you might remember about the biblical history, but they had kind of a a system set up where the priests and the Levites would work in the temple for a period of weeks, and then they had weeks off. And during their weeks off, they would return to their homes, and the closest major city was the town of Jericho. These are some of the archaeological remains there, but my point being that all of the archaeology that is done there point to the fact that Jericho was an upper-middle-class town, a small city. They had their own hippodrome if your mind can go back to the movie Ben-Hur, horse races, chariot races. If you've seen pictures of ancient theaters, which sat thousands a theater found in the city of Jericho. Again, simply more things from the archaeological site. So this was an upper middle class city. The other significant geographical thing that you need to understand before we read the text was that Jericho sat at a crossroads. It sat right in the middle of one of the major northern-southern routes, vertically, and one of the major routes east-west that crossed the country. That's one of the reasons it was a larger city, and it was one of the reasons why the key character in our passage today, Zacchaeus, was living in the city of Jericho. Any traffic that was going through north or south or east and west, crossing through the city of Jericho, they had to pay import-export taxes if they were on their way to the Mediterranean, carrying their goods to be imported or exported. And so it was a very significant city of its time. One more thing before we read the text. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10 is where we're headed. One more thing is that names mean something. And you might be surprised to know that Zacchaeus' name means righteous, pure, Or innocent now today when we name our kids I have three boys they're grown now six grandchildren but when we named our kids we just picked names that we liked in ancient times names were generally picked to indicate the desire of a parent for a child or sometimes it was even selected to identify an occurrence, a circumstance that was a reality in the life of the parent. And so I'm suggesting to you this morning, and I want to unfold this, that even the very name Zacchaeus suggests to us that authentic righteousness is what God desires. Authentic righteousness is what God desires. And I'm going to try to prove to you that Zach lived up to his name. Let's take a look at the text. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. He, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through And there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that place. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried, and he came down, and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, that is the crowds, when they saw it, they grumbled. He's going to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood, and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods. Let me just say that again. "'The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold.' And Jesus said to him, "'Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham.' For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pause for just a moment and pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that these are real-life stories of real-life people just like us who are watching from home or sitting in these seats today. Father, you didn't just include these stories for our entertainment. They're there for a purpose. We get to see the life of Jesus. We get to see the people that he interacted with. We get to eavesdrop on their conversations. And so, Father, we pray that we would observe carefully and we would learn sincerely the importance of your desire for authentic righteousness in our lives, believing that that is truly what you desire of every single one of us. And so, Father, bless our time together as we paint this portrait of Zacchaeus and learn some ministry principles from the life of our Savior. And we pray it in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. Okay, so as I said, I want to paint a portrait of Zacchaeus. Oh, There we go. Um, And there are uh, actually nine things. We're going to go through them pretty quickly. I'm only going to have to pause on a few of them because they need a little bit more explanation for you to fully understand. Uh, The first thing, which we know Zacchaeus best for, is the fact that he was a chief tax collector. It tells us that in verse 2. Now, why do we have to put a quarter in the meter and pause here for a little bit? Because we have to understand, not just tax collectors, but we have to understand what it means to be a chief tax collector. Now, it's very fascinating what the Romans chose to do. Their strategy was to find a Jewish person to collect the taxes from their own people. And they devised this system. It was called tax farming we get farming in Lancaster County. Tax farming was that they were collecting taxes from all of the people who lived in particular regions and for those who were passing through in their desire to take goods to or from the Mediterranean. Now, again, they did something very unique to Lancaster County as well as the Middle East they auctioned off that opportunity to be the chief tax collector. So the right to be the chief tax collector, or actually I prefer the terminology, the commissioner of collecting taxes for the region of Judea, that went to the highest bidder. And that was Zacchaeus he then in turn would hire other tax collectors who would set up booths in different regions to collect the appropriate taxes from the people who lived there or were traveling through. Now, we all know, and I don't need to waste time on this, we all know the tax collectors in the Bible did not have good reputations for good reason. Many times their actions were, were kind of strong-arm tactics. Their they were known for threats and intimidation. Sometimes they were, they were dishonest. They were unscrupulous, abusive, fraudulent. We could go on with other adjectives. Uh, they were so despised that they were not even welcome in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, remember that this was a Jewish man who was employed by the Roman government. Now, the second thing about Zacchaeus was, we are told in verse 2 also, he was rich. Don't need to elaborate on that. No surprise that he was a wealthy man because he had won the bid to become the tax collector throughout Judea. We just don't know how he acquired that wealth. That is unknown to us. But we come to the third trait about him. And again, we have to pause because this is where we begin to have to dismantle the idea that we had of Zacchaeus. It describes him and translates it here in the ESV, which I read from this morning, that he is small of stature. And we equate that with being short because we've always been taught that he was a wee little man. Now, here's the problem with that. In the original language, there are three ways that this word was translated. One of them had to do with a person's height. It may have been. It may have been that Zacchaeus was short. I can't say for sure. Secondly, it was translated to signify the age of a person. You remember back in the passage in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, on, remember uh, it, was, it was after one of the feasts, and Jesus uh, and his family uh, had caravanned from the city of Nazareth, and all of a sudden Mary and Joseph realized that Jesus was not with them. And so they went back to find Jesus. And Jesus, um, they found him, of course, in the temple, and he was interacting with with some of the spiritual leaders there in the temple. Uh, But the same word is used in verse 52 of Luke 2, that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. And why is that significant? Because the text goes on and specifically tells us what his age was. He was only 12 years old, and that was why they were concerned that their 12-year-old son was lost, and they had to send out a search party for it. The word was also used to signify the spiritual maturity of a person. So this idea of maturity in age or in spiritual knowledge was used in other places in Scripture. But there's a third illustration explanation, I should say. Not only was it a person's height, not only sometimes was the word translated as to the age of a person, but it was thirdly translated to signify the social status of a person. Now, here we are. We're trying to assemble these pieces of a puzzle to understand a passage of Scripture to see if we have an accurate understanding of it. And that's why I painted the picture of the city of Jericho for you to give you the whole context of where Zach lived. He lived in a place of supposedly in that ancient culture, the chief priests and the Levites who worked in the temple were the professional Christian workers of the day, the spiritual giants of the city of Jericho. And then there's Zacchaeus, the traitor, the good Jewish boy who decided that there was more money that could be made if he partnered with their enemy, the Romans. Do you see the difference in stature? Do you see the difference in social status? Do you understand why the people in Jericho may not have looked fondly at Zacchaeus? I want to suggest to you, and personally, I believe it gives much greater clarity to the text as it continues to unfold that the social status of Zacchaeus was the point that Jesus was trying to make in this portion of Scripture that is recorded for us. It had nothing to do with his age. It had nothing to do with his height. It had everything to do with his social status because he was looked down on by everyone else who lived in the town because everyone hated tax collectors. In my mind, as this text is explained to us, the tense of the verb that that is used, uh, saying that he was repeatedly trying to to see Jesus, means that he kept trying to force his way to the front of the crowd, and no one would let him in. You ever been in one of those situations? You're you've you've come a long time. You've stood in line. You've waited and waited and waited, and then someone comes and they want to just Get in front of you and bypass. I can only imagine as this picture is painted in my mind that the streets are lined with people who have waited and wanted to see Jesus. And Zacchaeus is trying to get to see Jesus too because there's no indication that he had ever seen him previously. And no one, because of their social status, And the way they looked at Zacchaeus, there is no way they're giving up their front row seat for a scumbag like Zac, a tax collector. Well, a couple of other things real quickly. I think he was a resourceful guy. (laughs) Uh, What did he do? He ran on ahead and he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him. Now, sycamore trees are kind of short trees. They're they're really not like the tall oaks that we see so frequently or maples around here. They were kind of short, but they had long lateral branches. And so, but they were rather sturdy trees. And so you could climb a tree a short distance and, and shimmy out onto one of the branches. And that's apparently exactly what Zacchaeus did. It speaks of his perseverance. Now, it may not have been the wisest choice, for a man who was dressed in a tunic, because that was the uh, that was the attire of the day, and so he risked ridicule. And fast forward in your mind to the passage that we read. Not only did he shimmy out there because he knew which way the parade was going, he knew that the road to Jerusalem was coming right under that sycamore tree. And he knew that he would have a higher view there. But when Jesus stopped and talked to him, not only did he have the conversation, he had to get out of that tree. Just imagine, ladies, it's easier for you than men, that you're wearing a tunic. And you've got to shimmy backwards on a branch to get out of the tree. Humiliating at the very least. We also know that he was a hospitable guy. Verses 5 and 6 tell us that uh, when Jesus stopped, and by the way, I want you to notice in the text that this was the very first person in the city and the only person in the city of Jericho that Jesus speaks to. He doesn't speak to the crowds. He doesn't speak to any of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Levites. None of them But when Jesus comes to Zacchaeus, Jesus stops and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. And what does Zac do? Immediately he came down at once and he received him joyfully. And Jesus did something. It's the only place in Scripture where I've seen it. Jesus invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Now, even more striking, is the emphatic way that these words were recorded by Luke. Jesus said, I must. And the idea that is being communicated to us, as we would translate that into English, is that this is necessary for me today to fulfill the will of God. Now, you may feel like I'm reading a little bit too much into the Scripture, but I want you to notice what Jesus said in verse 10. Why was this so important? Is it possible that this was an object lesson for all of the crowds to see for themselves and hear one more time what Jesus had been saying through three years of public ministry? He said this, verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What a great object lesson. To pick a tax collector out of a crowd and say, I must come to your house, and if I may paraphrase it, to prove God's point of the purpose of my life. Now, one thing I didn't tell you earlier. This is the last week of Jesus' life. This is his last trip through Jericho. And there was already an undercurrent among the Jewish religious leaders to see the death of Jesus come about. And so Zach was hospitable. He invited Jesus over, but he was also disrespected. You see the Response of the crowd, he's going to the house of a sinner. Okay, time out for just a minute. Um, Does that mean that Zach was the only sinner in the crowd that day? I seem to recall the Apostle Paul saying something about all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that across the board, every, every single one of us, are created equal in the fact that we are all no-good, dirty, rotten sinners in need of a Savior. Again, may I suggest to you that those who thought they were the spiritually elite looked down on someone who they considered to be of lower status. And we know that he was generous. Uh, uh, Just a real quick word on this, because our time is, is just about gone, and I want to get to the principles and leave those with you. Generous. What, uh, what does Zach say to Jesus? He says, look, Lord, he said, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Now, let's be, be honest about that. If he was filthy rich, that may not fall in the category of sacrificial giving. It's very possible that Zacchaeus may have been the Warren Buffett or the, the Jeff Bezos or the, the Bill Gates of his day. So even to give away half of his income it may not have been sacrificial giving. But then he goes on and he says something else. He says one more thing about honesty that takes this up a notch. And he says, if, if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back. I will restore it four times. Now, the law of Moses in Leviticus chapter 6 said, if you steal something from an. What's Zach saying? He's saying, I'll restore if I've stolen anything, I'll give back what I stole, and I'll multiply that by 300%. Now listen, if I know that I'm a dirty, rotten scoundrel who has cheated a lot of people out of a lot of things, I am not going to make an offer like that to the Son of God who will hold me accountable. Lastly, we know that he was a Jewish man. Uh, Jesus says, today, today, uh, salvation Is coming to this man because he is a son of Abraham. Well, there are some principles that I want to wrap up with this morning. We'll take just a few minutes because they're very simple. I want us to notice the ministry model of Jesus was missional, and we use that word quite a bit. It was simply meaning this, Jesus did ministry as his normal events of life unfolded. We have programmed so much of ministry in our lives today that it's almost like we we flip a switch as to when we're doing ministry and when we're not doing ministry. Jesus, when He chose not to do ministry, it was when He would separate Himself from the crowds for purposes of spiritual refreshment, time with His heavenly Father. But when He was with people, He naturally, when His life intersected with others, He disrupted His own schedule many times to meet the needs of others. Secondly, uh, and again, I don't think we need to say much about this. The ministry model of Jesus was indiscriminate. If you just go back and read the end of the previous chapter on your own time, you would see that on the way into Jericho, Jesus came across a blind man by the side of the road. His road, his name was Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus was crying out to Jesus, asking to be healed, and other people were just walking right past him. It was the exact same kind of scenario as the story of the Good Samaritan, where the priest and the Levite were coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This time it was Jesus on his way into Jericho, and everyone else was walking past Bartimaeus, and Jesus stopped and healed him. He gets into the town of Jericho. Again, who does he stop and want to talk to and spend time with? A tax collector. People who are marginalized, people who often are are looked down on by other individuals. The model of Jesus was indiscriminate because he would look at a person and he would see them not as we do. He would see them first and foremost as a person who was an image bearer of God, a person of eternal worth. Thirdly, we notice that Jesus is also full of surprises. And I just love this because before before Jesus speaks to anyone else, he calls Zach out by name, a guy straddled on a branch, and no one could have expected this. It, It had to totally shock the crowd that of Everyone who Jesus wanted to talk to in Jericho, that he would focus on Zacchaeus, the man of low stature. But you see, Jesus was never willing to play by everybody else's rules. And I like that. And truth be told, I'm a rule breaker. And so I love that about Jesus because I don't like to be put in a box. I don't like to be stereotyped. And every class I've ever told or taught, I told the students on the first day of class, do not expect me to be like any other professor that you've ever had because I do not like to be stereotyped. God made me unique and I want to live out the uniqueness to its fullest. The fourth principle is uh, a warning here. Actually, it comes from the Apostle Paul. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Jericho was filled with people who thought more highly than they ought to think of themselves. Paul goes on in Romans 12, and he says, rather, the way we should think of ourselves as those with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given us. People are often impressed by their own public prestige, and I think we get way too impressed by the wrong things. We forget that God doesn't grade sin on a curve. We forget that God doesn't really care about how much money's in our wallets. He doesn't care about our IQ, our athletic ability, our musical ability, our careers, our fames, how many letters we have behind our name regarding education, our GPA, our resume. I think some people are so deceived that they think that when they get to heaven, God is going to ask for their autograph. Nope. Only people who think of themselves more highly than they ought. That's why people think they can get to heaven with their good works, that somehow God will be impressed with them. when the bottom line is the fifth principle, authentic righteousness is confirmed by character and actions. And that's our boy, Zach, in action in this passage. That's really what God desires. Authentic righteousness is confirmed by our character and by our actions. And so Zacchaeus was obeying the Roman law, But there's no evidence that Zacchaeus was doing anything corrupt. There was no evidence that Zacchaeus did anything to exploit the people who he was responsible for collecting Roman taxes. You know, one of the greatest ironies as we wrap up this morning that I see in this passage is that both of these two groups of people of high stature and low stature, they both made their money on the taxes that were paid. And collected. You see, all the priests and the Levites were paid from the temple tax, which people had to pay when they came to worship at the temple. Zacchaeus made his living collecting the taxes that were demanded by the Roman government. But whether you look at Zacchaeus or whether you look at the other residents of Jericho, they all made their living on the collection of taxes. That was their salary. What are things that we could do this week? Well, maybe one of the things that we can do is to put our reputation at risk so that we can do what Jesus did to seek and to save the lost. We need to be friends of sinners. And so who in the natural course of our work, our our life this week, our neighbors, the people who we meet randomly, Who are the sinners, quote-unquote, that we might cross paths with to become their friend this week and so that we can earn the right to be heard? Secondly, and thirdly, uh, just a reminder that instead of looking at someone else's sin, we need to look at our own. And then thirdly, let's get real practical. Why don't you invite someone over for dinner this week who's very unlike you? Invite a Zacchaeus over. Spend time with a Zacchaeus. Now, it just so happens that a Zacchaeus just left my house yesterday. She's the sister of my daughter-in-law. My son and daughter-in-law and her sister were in town for a wedding, and they stayed with us. Her sister-in-law is a Jehovah's Witness. I mean, my sister-in-law's sister is a Jehovah's Witness. We spend hours. She likes to walk. I like to walk so one evening we took an hour walk we talked about spiritual things the whole time and i just ask her questions why because i have this attitude that i can learn something from everyone to help my understanding now that doesn't mean i agree with them but i was just pumping her with questions about what does she think about Jesus? Who does she understand Jesus to be? We got into a lengthy discussion about the work of the Holy Spirit, and I was surprised to discover that Jehovah's Witnesses don't even believe there was a Holy Spirit. I didn't know that before. She said, would you watch a video of a guy that I watched recently who was a Jehovah's Witness, and then he left to become a Christian? I said, sure, let's sit down and watch it together. We sat down for two hours... it was so simple. It was so easy. She was staying in my home. We were sharing meals together. That's how simple it is for you and I to be a friend of sinners and like the son of man, to be intentional about seeking out those who are far from God. Some thoughts for you to give consideration to and perhaps apply this week. Thanks for your attention, even though I couldn't see your reaction. Thanks for hanging in there with me. I'm going to close in prayer and turn the service back over to Greg. Father God, thanks for the truth of your word, for how simple it is. Thanks that we can never cease to open the word of God and learn something new, or at the very least, a different perspective on something that we thought we knew. We pray that authentic righteousness would characterize our lives as well. May that be the case for our good, but more so for your glory. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.